So culture impacts the experience of all team members. It also drives the results of the team. Thus, we as coaches, we know our jobs depend on our ability to design and create a great culture. In an effort to better understand culture, Nate and I, we stepped outside of sports this week to interview Erica Marari, the COO of Gaping Void, the culture design organization and consulting group. They've done work for organizations like Zappos, AT&T, the Air Force, and various healthcare systems. I've been a big follower of their blog for the last two years since Erica reached out to me after reading my book, The Culture System. And as you will hear today, so much of their work resonates with my own approach with teams and leaders. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how to accelerate culture change, the importance of storytelling, and also how culture language, how we can create it and how we can use it to create the culture we want. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm your host, JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. The mission of this podcast is to help you to become a better leader and build a better culture. In addition to this podcast, I'm the founder of TOC, which provides one-on-one coaching and consulting for leaders. Learn more about us at tocculture.com. This episode is brought to you by the TOC newsletter. Every Thursday, our newsletter includes two things that you don't want to miss out on. Firstly, the notes to that week's podcast episode, whether you're listening while driving the car, out for a run, or do the dishes, we don't want you to miss the biggest takeaways from each episode. Secondly, each newsletter is a short article from myself or Nate on leadership and culture. These articles are designed to inspire, encourage, and provide practical insights into leadership and culture building. Our content is the perfect fit for anyone who wants to stay up to date with the latest trends and insights in culture building. You can subscribe to the newsletter at tocculture.com and or by clicking on the link in the details of each episode. This episode is brought to you by my newest book, The Sports Parent Solution. Sports parents have become a significant challenge. For many coaches, they represent the greatest obstacle, causing sleepless nights and prompting some to consider leaving the profession altogether. Here's the secret. Your most formidable obstacle can evolve into your greatest ally in developing your team culture, that team culture you envision, and making a lasting impact on an athlete's life. I've assisted hundreds of coaches, spanning from youth sports to collegiate levels, in forming successful partnerships with parents. The results have been remarkable, affecting both the team's performance and the overall experience of its members. In my latest book, The Sports Parent Solution, Proven Strategies for Transforming Obstacles to Allies, I have shared a proven framework for transforming the parent culture within your program. By implementing the system outlined in the book, you'll witness improvements in your team's culture and performance. You'll be able to say goodbye to the constant worry about the latest parent issue and instead embrace a future where your team thrives. You'll also find valuable insights to help you build the culture you want. Don't miss out on this opportunity to transform your team. Visit tocculture.com to learn more about the book or you can just go over to Amazon to order your copy today. Well, Erica, we're excited to have you on the podcast here with us. And I know you've got a little bit of a history with JP. You guys have known each other for a while. I'm meeting you for the first time here and and looking forward to our conversation. I wanted to get us started here, both for myself and for our listeners. If you could give us just a little bit of background as to what it is exactly that you do at Gaping Void and maybe how you ended up connecting um, with the mission there. Sure. So uh, I started uh, at Gaping Void four and a half years ago, and the story is quite 
quite fun, actually. I was speaking at a conference uh, around patient-centered engagement for clinical trials, and there was an exhibit uh, that was at the end of the conference hall with these really interesting, what I will say are cartoons and pictures of the time, although we no longer use the cartoon word and the art word, inside Gaping Void. Uh, we use semiotic, like the one you see behind me. And I had to understand what these were about. So I walked up to uh, the gentleman standing there and I said, okay, you have to explain this to me because I just don't get it. What are you doing here? Help me. And he explained to me that they take these semiotics and they enlarge them in installations individually and in, in, in walls, cultural walls, which we'll, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to touch on later, is, um, and they use them to help patients engage in care settings in a different way. So instead of seeing something like a field of flowers, for example, they see something with a really positive message that is inspiring to help them maybe have a different narrative or conversation with their physician or the care team who is providing the health, um, the care for their well-being and whatever the, the care is that they need. And I thought that that was really amazing. And after that, I kept in touch with Gaping Void. I, that was in 20, 2016. No, I'm sorry, 2014. And I stayed in touch with them and Jason Corman, our CEO, who's a really wonderful, brilliant, creative person, uh, wanted me to join the team. And for all of, of a variety of reasons, it just wasn't right over the years. And he would put a nickel or dime dime in my uh, PayPal account uh, quarterly, more or less, and ask me if I was ready to join the team. And I just thought that was hysterical. So one, it prompted us to have a conversation regularly, which I really enjoyed. And then one day it was just the right time that he dropped the he dropped the dime. We had a conversation and I joined the team there. And I joined the team to help keeping void scale. For a long time, we were an organization that had great clients, steady state. And my uh, interest in taking what we do and having greater impact, not just in healthcare, but across uh, all industries, sectors and businesses and teams of all varying sizes, was something that I, I was really excited to do. So at, at Gaping Void now, my, my role is the chief operating officer. However, we are growing, we are small and growing. And essentially, we all do whatever is required to get the job done at the end of the day to have uh, a really big impact. Yeah, and what you just mentioned there is that you've worked across a lot of different industries, healthcare being one of those, the military, a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and then hopefully in the near future, some uh, sports teams, right? So, um, but, you know, as you look at all these different contexts, and I know every every context is unique, right? So, you know, so that's why you guys are valuable, right? You can't just put what you do in a, in a, in a book or in this video and just sell that, right? It's your work coming in there. But when you come in and you look at across all these different contexts, what are some of the, you know, principles or fundamental truths that apply, you know, when it comes to culture across all these in different industries? In my career, and both with respect to Gaping Void, we, Gaping Void as an organization started in engineering organizations, and which is, is actually where I got my background. Uh, and then with respect to engineering cultures or healthcare teams or retail or the military where we do a lot of work, 
there are definitely some fundamental truths with respect to people. Uh, people people want to show up as valued members of a winning team on an inspiring mission, right? They look for meaning in their work. They want to show up because they care about the mission. They're connected to something larger. They want to be. They want to love their work. They want to feel like they matter at the end of the day. And, and I guess those fundamental truths about how we show up every day, they don't really have any bounds or barriers or guard posts. Mm. That's really powerful. Uh, that human element is something you guys talk a lot about when it comes to the cultural change and what you're trying to do there. Um, the reality is that in these industries, just like in sports, results matter, right? Like you, you know, in the military, right? Results really, really, really matter as well as they do in healthcare, uh, way, way more than even in, in sports. But, you know, our listeners are in sports there where it's just like, hey, yeah, I get culture is important. Um, we need it to, you know, essentially even drive results. Um, and there's a time, you know, there's this, this time crunch, right? We've got to win. We got to win quickly. And coaches are under this pressure. When it comes to cultural change, and dealing with that pressure of time and, and the fact that results do matter, what are, what are some ways that, that you, know, you all really work with organizations to approach that cultural change in a way that can do it in a somewhat accelerated fashion, if that's even possible? It is. So I, I would start with the fact that it's important to acknowledge when you're looking to accelerate the pace of, of change with respect to culture, that every leader's job is to create a future that would not have otherwise occurred, it, it, if that makes sense, right? So if you, if you have that, you can understand where you're going. And, and I think one of the challenges in, in literature which says it takes seven years to change a culture. And, and fundamentally, that's not true. You can accelerate it. And I think that transformation can happen in an instance. We watched it happen with COVID. We watch it happen in wartime. We watch it happen when there's all kinds of extraneous factors that force change, catalysts for change. And, and I think the question... The question is, how do you make that happen within an organization quickly without some kind of tragic um, tragic and extreme event? And if we, the way that we approach it with those things in mind is that the DNA um, of culture is language. It's fundamentally linguistic. And uh, I guess, it's all about the design and execution of implementation of that language and communicating the thinking and creating different narratives and telling different stories and getting people to understand working together and, and continuing to work together is, is definitely a theme. And I, I hope I won't talk too much about that. But if, if you take the concept that all transformation is linguistic and pull out that it's it's philosophical and that it's taken for granted, um, you can transform. You can transform organi organizations really quickly with just language, and it only takes one piece of language and a lot of people to grab onto that language and 
uh, I will I will use um, MLK's I Have a Dream speech, if only because I just got off of a call where the team was talking about this and how it had become a catalyst for change in the way that people think and the way they show up and the way they behave, the norms around that and how it fundamentally transform a culture and a, and a world with how people show up. Uh, and so uh, I think that's something that's really important. So if you wanna design culture and you wanna transform culture quickly, rapidly to accelerate it, start with language, focus on the language and relentlessly socialize that language over and over again so that people can actually not only imagine the future that they want for the change, but that they're actually moving in that direction, in that direction together. So let me ask you just maybe for a little bit of context, I'm thinking in terms of, um, you know, when it comes to cultural change, what we see the most in our work is coaches that take over in a new program. So they come into a new school, they adopt a new team, and everybody's expecting, you know, change to happen and to happen dramatically oftentimes because they're there for a reason, right? The last guy wasn't getting it done or they're coming in to fix a program or whatever it might be. So when you talk about starting with language, is that the phrase on the t-shirt? Is that getting the right theme? Is that like, what exactly do you mean by, you know, finding the language that people can connect to and start to propel the, the culture forward? Sure. So the the sound bite, I guess, that we use is that all transformation is linguistic. That's fundamentally what we're talking about. And change happens in shared stories and shared narratives and experiences that people have, and that is fundamentally rooted in language. So the the stories that people tell about why they show up as a team, stories that in sports teams they share of victory or being an underdog or overcoming a challenge or winning from behind or no one ever thought we could do it, right? All of those narratives that we tell ourselves and taking those narratives, flipping them based on language and telling a different story about an alternate reality that we want to have. That's what I mean. And, and yes, culture can transform in an instant with something that happens. We see it all the time uh and when people believe in something they can also transform quickly and and that truly i think does start with language and leadership uh and i guess the other thing that i will say and and this is a, a gaping void tenant of sorts is that culture is an infinite game you're always working on it the stories are changing the system is dynamic and that's something that needs to be cultivated and cared for and and curated and celebrated. I want to follow up on that and just for instance, um, one of the things that JP and I kick around all the time when it comes to new coaches starting in new places is how much of the the vision casting and the reframing and the storytelling originates from the new leader and how much how much of it is drawn out of the the new followers, so to speak, for that leader and I'll give you a context when I think of the Golden State Warriors, you know, and just the dramatic turnaround for their team over the last eight to 10 years, when Jacob Lacobe bought the team, the first thing that he told his executive team was no changes for six months until I talk to everybody. And he went through the entire organization, meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to understand the landscape, landscape better. And then he was, you know, felt like he was better able to make decisions and, and that sort of thing. So what is the role when it comes to 
listening, but also casting that vision? Well, this is something near and dear to my heart as an anthropologist, in that you, speaking as an anthropologist, I think one of the fundamentally uh, underrepresented, underutilized, um, and misunderstood applications of understanding the culture to be able to change it is ethnographic research and the observing, uh, walking around, talking to people, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Uh, one of my uh, lecturers in graduate school, uh, one of the first thing he said to a room full of smart people, I was the one who you know, slipped through the cracks, but I got to show up anyway. And he said, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. And when you know what someone cares about and why they're showing up in an organization, you know what motivates them. You know what gets them out of bed. You know why they want to be there every day. And in having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, you allow people the freedom and the space to have those questions, to build relationships, to build trust. And whether it's six months, it's 90 days, I think there are a lot of factors that can change that. You know, I think we've, we've you know, we've all read the first 90 days book or something, you know, of that nature. There's no formula for that in my experience. It's very much dependent on the size of the organization, the type of the organization, the locations, the complexity, uh, et cetera. So that is the, but the principle is to go, go around and understand the organization, understand where the narratives are coming from. One of the things that we talk about at Gaping Void with organizations when we go in or in the early days is how to, we ask people, tell us what's your origin story? What is, tell us what that's about. Because until you know where people come from, you can't help design where they want to go. And so I would say once those things are understood, can you then begin to look at vision casting, look at that. It's always great to know where a leader comes from, but I think a, when a leader comes into an organization, whether it's a sports team or a Fortune 100 company, Listen to what people are saying, share your stories, share your experiences, as opposed to the things you want to fix, change, address. Those things are known, they're understood, or you wouldn't be there as a new leader, right? <laughs> those, those, are like, those are table stakes. So it's all of the other things around that with respect to how you connect with people. What I love about that is, you know, you're talking so much around the quality of the culture. It comes down to sometimes the quality of our conversations. And I think there's just a direct correlation to how we're having those conversations. So we, we first connected um, a while back, and if I remember right, it's kind of you had come across my book, The Culture System, which, um, and you reached out and, you know, honestly, very flattered. But all my listeners, the majority of the listeners here have, are very familiar with that book and the work. And um, you saw some synergy or some, you know, some similarities between the stuff that I was articulating there and some of your work in Gaping Void. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what were those connections or similarities uh, between what I have outlined in my book and the system I promote there and then what you're doing within Gaping Void? I'm really glad you asked this question because there are a lot of similarities uh, in what we do. And I think there were a few that really stood out for me. Uh, not just the fact that you refer to culture as a system because we also talk about culture as the human operating system. Um, but Really, where you started with respect to the, you know, the, the framework is around this notion of transformational leadership and mission and vision, which we talked about just a second ago. And these things are fundamental. And that leadership with respect to the vision and the mission 
and um, the the narratives and the stories that we share in those really rich conversations there needs to be alignment there and it's not just it is from the top yes it's the middle layers it's those layers underneath it that everyone is really aligned with the mission and the vision and has clarity on what it means for example we we are uh, doing some work in an organization right now where they had a really amazing uh, um, thorny, I'll call it, mission objective. And it's very complex, um, yet the vision is clear. And so what the vision has allowed the team to do, a distributed team across the country, across the globe, has allowed them to then take this complex mission, make sense of it, um, and that has been their anchor point toward the alignment around the future they want to go. Uh, so that's one thing, and it's you know one of the, the first and most important things. The other thing that you talk about is core values, and we we talk about values, but more or less we talk about beliefs. And I could probably talk to you and Nasi about beliefs. Um, so that's something that's really important, and some of the ways in which we think about core values is that they're in an organization generally they're understood complex outcomes complex right meaning those are the things that we want people to do though they're not always so easy to understand what is meant by for example things like sustainability or stewardship or excellence like those are complex outcomes of a system a, a, a culture of how people act and that action is informed by the thinking right like that, that guides their behaviors so that's another thing that was a i think really important and i'm happy to to, to dig later on or whenever it makes sense into belief systems uh more uh i think the other thing that um that's really important with respect to to where there are similarities is this idea of a team of a team manifesto and I talked about origin story a, a minute ago, but that's, a, I think, another undervalued piece of cultural transformation that is easy to just overlook, like, oh, we tell the stories and we know why we're here. And I think the question is, do we really, like, do we really know why we're showing up here? And this statement of purpose, this manifesto, and, and, and you talk about this, is designed to emotionally connect people to the community, to a sports team, to, to anyone, to a purpose and that mission in, in driving toward the future that everyone seeks. Yeah, and I think that that manifesto is sometimes really trying to get clarity around how do our beliefs inform our behaviors is, is the way I view it, right? It's just that that alignment. And first off, it has to show up for me as a leader. Like if I say I value these things, I have these values, or if I express them in principles or, or some sort of core beliefs there, it has to show up in how I, at, you know, my own standards for, for myself, as well as the team sits back and says, okay, if we want this, how are we going to show up? You know, how do we want to do things here? Um, am I right in that? I think you are. Uh, absolutely. People you mentioned you mentioned standards. There's a a Seth Godin a Seth Godin quote, which is people like us do things like this. And mm -hmm. when you know how people show up, doing what they do together, almost in unison, like a like an orchestra, right? They're you're working together seamlessly. 
based on these 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 norms that are informed by our shared beliefs and those you've mentioned I'll, I'll use standards again is like they those standards are set by what is most important to the team and set by the leader at the time to get the to get the mission done whatever the mission is i love that quote by godin um i'm not sure if i'd heard that one before but it makes me think about something that i experienced even just in my the culture of my own family growing up um we have a very unusual name, Nurbin, right? So nobody really has that last name. But it, what was more impactful for me was that we would say, hey, as a family, the Nurbin family, like, just we don't do those things. We'd say, well, why can't we do that? Well, like, that's just not how we do things as a family, right? It's just connected to this whole idea of like, these are our values and this is what it looks like. And yeah, that's different. And, and But this kind of ties back to your whole idea around language and around how do we express certain things. I think that that, that, that stuck with me. I don't know if that resonates with you. It's the shared language. You're absolutely right. There's the the inside jokes. There's the you know the funny phrases that we use. Like I, I will tell you, it gave me void. If we use people like us do things like this ten times a day, we use it twenty times a day, because it's one of those simple phrases that when you hear it, you're like, it it just makes it makes sense in the way that it's said, and it's it's very much around the language and. And when you have, it's almost like code, right? You know, human language is like computer code in a, in a way. It is how we function on the system. And that is exactly what you're talking about with your family. Like we show up doing this. And, you know, at Gaping Void, we're the, you know, the G-teamers and we have a, a manifesto, which I will not read uh, to you, although I want to, if only because some of the language is probably meant for internal use uh, only, uh, but it's quite fun and it's how we show up and why we care. And those are the things that that matter and they, they truly align people to those behaviors that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, there's a phrase in our family that was passed on from my grandmother to my mother, um, her mother-in-law, which was, you're gonna have a great time. And if you don't, it's your own fault. 50 years later, in their marriage, we actually put it on a t-shirt for their 50th uh, wedding anniversary last year at the beach. So um, it's just cool how that, that language passes down. And here I am passing it down onto my kids uh, when they when they complain about not wanting to go uh, out in the rain for a walk or anything like that here in Ireland. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I want to kind of dive into some of the, your your tools and your approaches towards things. And and one of the things that's, you know, there's a graphic on your website and I'll, we'll put a link in the details of this episode for our listeners to look at, but you have this thing called the gaping void culture change model. Um, and I'm curious if you could kind of maybe illustrate or describe that for our listeners and what are its key components and how does it facilitate cultural transformation? I remember seeing this and going, you know, it's different, but it looks very similar to an actual graphic that I have in my book around, you know, how do I measure culture and stuff like that? So I really resonated with it. But yeah, what is the gaping void culture change model and what are its key components? And how does it facilitate that uh, cultural transformation? First, uh, I will tell you that uh, when we talk about this with our engineering organizations, it drives the engineers a little mad because it's not a math formula. And therefore we already, you know, I'm, and I'm joking a little bit, but we lose credibility. It's like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. This is what we were, you know, we expected. And then we slowly begin to, to, um, to debunk all the norms. So 
And that's also a little bit of the point because if it doesn't make sense, people are talking about it. They're asking questions. They may wanna know more, even if they're not sure. And, and culture change cannot be solved meaning like it doesn't have an endpoint. It's a continuous process of evolution. And that's why the line on the graph goes, you know, up and basically continues because as, you know, we talked about earlier, we live in a complex dynamic world. So, okay. That being said, this uh, graphic, this, this diagram was created before I joined Gaping Void, but Jason and, uh, uh, and B.J. Fogg met B.J. Fogg as the author of Tiny Habits. He is the director of the Stanford Design Lab. I know you're familiar. And, and they sat down and they came up with this model of CC equals FMS times AB times S. And I'll walk through a little bit about this because fundamentally the idea and principle around this is that in organizations, in sports teams, we hear about this all of the time, that great leaders are excellent at motivating people when they have a really well-articulated future state that they're working toward, whether it's a championship, uh, it's a title, it's a organizational KPI, or an impact metric, or a sustainability metric, like those things are totally true. And people's careers sometimes hinge on that ability. So, uh, first is you have this future motivated state, this future that we're all working toward that we know is a destination. It links right to the mission and the vision. It's tied to the, to the manifesto that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, articulated beliefs are the belief system. So we talked a little bit about that earlier. They are meant to make life easier for people. So simple statements that align toward this higher level uh, of what we uh, refer to as a belief system. And those beliefs guide people's behaviors to achieve the, SM, the FMS. And the belief system overall is that collection of thinking rooted in language that drives the, drives the success. And then the S line, this line over, you know, all the way to the top to get to ideal culture, which we could make, make the argument, and we often do that there is no such thing, uh, is that all of these ideas, the beliefs, the mission, the vision, the purpose, why we're all showing up every day, they need to be relentlessly socialized over and over and over and over again, to the point where you will see and hear these things from people without them even knowing that they're doing them. Almost as we talked about computer code, like they've been programmed to do it, but they don't even know why because they're just continuously, um, relentlessly socialized. So that uh, is one of the things. I'll, I'll give you an example. We did work at a, at a large uh, healthcare system. And in one of the the buildings, there is the employee parking lot, and then there is the building. And it's a long hallway that connects the employee parking lot to the main building. And what we did is we took our semiotics, I can't remember the exact number, but there may be 10 on each side, and they're very, very large. They're like 10 by 10 or 15 by 15, roughly. And we would change them out, but we let 
a lot of these ideas stand there and they were messages around wanting to belong and to be part of something larger and to be grateful, show gratitude. These were some of the beliefs that they wanted to root in the system because fundamentally they are who they are. And what uh, one of one of the semiotics that was in there said, thank you for you. And Jason, our CEO, <laughs> Jason said, I don't get it, but I guess it'll work. So we'll put it out there and it'll make sense because it's their language, right? It wasn't, it wasn't our language. It's their, it's their language. And so we put it on the sign, fast forward six months, we're there doing some work, go to the cafeteria, grab a coffee, check out at the register. And the wonderful woman at the register says, thank you for you. In a way that we'd never heard before, very much in the context that it had been used in the way that it had been communicated around the organization. We don't, and it just came out like, like water, right? It's an air. It's just, it was just part of the lexicon. It was the language that was rooted in how people there show up every day. And that's what we're talking about with respect to our culture change model. Yeah. So just to recap, culture change equals future motivated state times uh, articulated beliefs times socialization. What I really think I resonate, I think coaches need to hear, leaders need to hear more often, is that like you just repeat, 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 right? Like I think so often we want to set culture and then leave it. And it's something you have to constantly be working at and nurturing. We come up with our core values and we we put them on a sheet of paper and then they go in our desk or you know we, we talk about the beginning of the year and then we don't talk about them the next day. And what you're talking about there is just so powerful around that language too, is also your language. It's not, oh, I heard what Nate Sanderson said on the podcast around gratitude, love, and effort, or what I heard about this coach did that just won the national championship. Let's go take what they did or the All Blacks did. It's like, it's trying to understand yourself, your culture, your people through those conversations to come up with that language. And I think that's what's, what's so, so powerful in what you're sharing there. Thank you for, for adding that part about not just having a coach say something or putting it in the drawer and that tracks to the, the relentless socialization piece. The, uh, the important part about that too is yes, it is the language, but it is attached to the stories that they tell. So, you know, a, a coach, for example, can say, uh, we, you know, in 1977, we were down in the season, you know, 27 games to, to, to 48. I'm making up these numbers, right? And we came to win and it was awesome. And if you're a new player on the team, you're thinking, okay, that sounds good. And we can do it again is the follow-up, right? And it's like, okay, well, how did that happen? What's the story? Where's the emotional connection? Why does it matter? Is it part of our is it part of our origin story? Is it why we're here? Was your grandfather on the team or your your granddaughter on the team or whatever the case is, right? Like it's it's about tying it to those stories and telling those stories over and those stories will change. And, but you know, every organization and you shared this earlier, JP, has their stories that they tell. Those phrases about, you know, wanting to walk out in the rain or go out in the rain even when you don't want to go out in the rain because that's what we do. When you're talking about that language, it seems like the skill set for the leader is both to teach language 
and to catch language when it happens in some regards, right? Like I think of an example, um, you know, with our kids of um, a phrase a few years ago that came out of a team dinner, you know, activity. We were doing some improv theater and somebody did an improvised uh, motivational message standing on the kitchen table yelling, we're going to be strong, powerful women, you know, and everybody laughed and it became this inside joke. But then it also became the way forward for our post players. Every time we were weak in the post, we'd say, that's not how a strong, powerful woman, you know, like, so it became this thing that we caught and added meaning to, but it was very organic in the way that it came out. And I guess I'm curious with your work with leaders, I can imagine that there are some whose, whose personality traits by nature may make that easier. Someone that's maybe more connected or more, um, I don't want to say emotionally intelligent, but just that picks up on those things naturally from others. My brother is an engineer, high analytical personality type. And I'm just imagining this might be difficult for him, you know, or more difficult if he was in a leadership position. So are there ways that you coach leaders into this skill set of not just providing language, but also catching it when it happens? Yes, absolutely, Nate. And we are very fortunate that we have worked with some amazing leaders who are really great at, at extemporaneous speeches that are students of history and language and are great at commanding it. And, and we've worked with, with leaders who, to your point, are maybe that's not their strong suit. And we provide coaching on our, not only on, on culture design through culture science, we have a, you know, a certification uh, program that we do uh, with folks and we also do informal coaching. And part of the early upfront work that we do with organizations when we go in and we spend time on the front end is to work with the leader to understand their style, understand what, what they're motivated by, what makes them, what makes them the leaders that they are. And it's really great to have an honest conversation. And I think some of the leaders that we've spoken to, not I think I know, have been really open and transparent to say, I know what we need to do. This is not my strong suit. I have a team of people around me. Please help tell me what to do. I will do it because I don't want to get in the way of seeing something beautiful succeed that has a ton of opportunity. And we work with those kinds of leaders and coach them. And we also do things like semiotic management system training and coaching as well, where we have this really fun game that we play. And by fun, I'm being a little bit uh, facetious because it makes someone like me who is not wonderfully uh, great at improv a little bit uncomfortable. And that is we will take uh, one of our, our semiotics, like the one that you see behind me, and we will uh, change it and flip it uh, up on the screen. And then we ask a leader to talk about it and tell a story about something that's really important to them in a moment's notice. They don't like it. No one really likes it at first, unless you're a professional <laughs> comedian. What it does is it gets people out of a comfort zone. It helps prompt and facilitate stories that they may not have thought about that actually really matter in an organization as well, and gets them just a little bit more comfortable using language uh, that they wouldn't normally potentially use. I want to also go back to something you said about the catching, the organic ideas. Absolutely 100% important. Spending time to notice those things that are just impromptu, that really laugh the inside jokes, 
right? The, those, those things that are, are funny and fun and, and have some stickiness to it, those are excellent prompts to help also drive the transformation in the culture. And again, it ties meaning to who we are, why we show up every day doing the things that we do. Yeah, and I, I think it comes back to this articulating and talking about them to the point that they sometimes drive people crazy. You know, I just see in my childhood, my mother saying that drove us crazy, but it becomes something we we truly do believe and we we recognize that it it guides, you know, how we show up. All right, that's it. We're gonna take a break there in the conversation. The sentence I have been hanging on the most is every leader's job is to create a future that has not yet occurred. Every leader's job is to create a future that has not yet occurred. That's really, really powerful. Next episode with Erica, we'll be talking about culture systems, culture walls, and the importance of onboarding. And she'll be sharing a few of their strategies as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review if you haven't had a chance. And also share this episode if you found it valuable.